Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. The scripture reading today will be in Luke chapter 10. Verses 1 through 20. I'm going to let you all just have a seat because I know this is a longer text. And if you just have a Bible, please just follow along as I read. Uh, Luke 10, starting verse 1. It says, After these things, Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would go. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house." And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in, the, in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, that shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, he that, he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Father, now we do ask your blessing on your word as I try to preach it accurately, God. I pray that you would give me the words to say, give me wisdom as I teach, and I pray that your spirit would uh, convict those in this room who are in need of conviction and encourage those who are in need of encouragement, God. I pray that your word would have its work in each one of our lives, that we would leave rejoicing in the salvation that you've given to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. The Christian belief in heaven and hell is perhaps the most unpopular uh, in our day. I can't think of much uh, in terms of Christian doctrine that causes the offense that the doctrines of heaven and hell do. Non-religious people will often mock Christians for believing that such places exist. And those who are religious but who are not Christians will be offended at the fact that we think Christians are the only one who are going to make it to heaven and the rest are headed for hell. Despite the lack of popularity in our times, the teaching of the New Testament could not be clearer on these subjects. Uh, Jesus talked clearly and often about heaven and hell. 
And today's text is one such example. At the outset, let me just state the position of our church plainly, and this is truly what Christians have believed for the last 2,000 years. We believe that all people are sinners. We are all destined to spend eternity in hell because of our sin. Only those who repent and trust in Jesus for salvation can be spared from this punishment and can have access to eternal life in heaven. That is the clear teaching of the Bible, and that is what we believe. Let me show you just one example of this in the New Testament, Revelation 20. This is John's vision where God allowed uh, the Apostle John to see into the future in the day of judgment. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This scene describes how everyone will one day stand before God. On Judgment Day, we will be judged for our lives. And all of us as sinners will be judged guilty. We are guilty of breaking God's law. The only escape from the sentence of condemnation will be if our name is written in the book of life. Those who are not written in the book of life, as this text says clearly, will be cast into hell. As for those whose names are in the book of life, John tells us about their destiny in the next chapter. Here he's talking about heaven, Revelation 21. There shall in no wise enter into it, into the city of God, into heaven, anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if your name is in the book of life, you're allowed access into heaven. If your name is not in the book of life, you are cast into hell. That is the biblical teaching about Judgment Day. All of humanity will either be allowed into heaven or condemned to hell. Those are the only two options. I bring up this text to set up what we're going to look at in Luke. Because Jesus here is clearly thinking about Judgment Day as he speaks throughout these verses in Luke 10. We begin in verse 1, where it says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Now there is a textual variant here. We talked about textual variation in the last hour. There does happen to be a variant here. Uh, It's a really big deal. Either it's 70 or 72 men that were sent out. Uh, We don't know exactly which. Uh, I don't know how much that means to you, but uh, some manuscripts say there were 70 that were sent out. Some say 72. Either way, uh, he sent out this large group to preach and represent him. We'll go with the number 70. Uh, in the towns and villages that they were passing through on their way to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. We saw that in chapter 9, verse 51. That transition takes place. He's leaving Galilee, uh, the northern part of Israel where he's done most of his ministry. And now he's headed to the south, to Jerusalem. And these areas that they're going through are relatively unfamiliar with Jesus. His ministry and his teachings, his miracles have been centered around the Sea of Galilee. And so this is, uh, in some ways, uncharted territory. These lands that he's going through, uh, these people would not have been very familiar with Christ. And so he had already sent the the 12 apostles out in Galilee, remember, uh, in chapter 9, where they went through their kind of their last minute blitz in Galilee to get the message of the kingdom out. And now as he's headed south toward Jerusalem, he commissions 70 others to travel to towns and villages that they're passing through. 
and prepare the people for Jesus' arrival and also to see if the town would receive him. So they're, they're going ahead of Christ to these towns and cities and they're saying, Jesus is on his way, will you receive him? And they, they preach the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is here and if they're rejected, uh, then they, they turn around and leave, go to the next town. If they received, then Jesus would come there uh, to that town. Jesus adds the reason for this commission in verse 2, where he says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, there were many people in these towns who needed to hear the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus is sending out these 70 to cover more ground. Then we have the warning in verse 3 to the 70, where Jesus says, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. There would be danger in this trip. They would be facing opposition from some. And Jesus instructs them not to bring possessions with them and not to take time to talk on their way. This is an urgent mission that he's sending them on. Verse 5, we see what they're supposed to do when they, when they arrive at each town. Verse 5 says, Into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. So they come with a message of peace. Verse 6, If the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. So they're supposed to enter into the town with a message of peace. We come with good news for you if you'll receive us. If the town welcomes them, then they should find a home to stay in. Uh, they're not supposed to go from house to house and try to just get as much as they can from these people. They're supposed to go to one place, one house that would accept them, that would provide food and lodging for them. And that should become their base of operations while they're in that town. And then verse 9, we get uh, more of an explanation as to what they're supposed to do. It says, heal the sick that are therein, that means in that town, and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. And, and this really is the objective of the whole mission. When you get there, heal the sick and preach the gospel. And the preaching of the kingdom of God was the main event. This message that the kingdom of God had come was the theme of Jesus' teaching ministry. We've seen this over and over in Luke's gospel, but... I want to just show you this great summary in Matthew 9, where it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's what Jesus did. That's what he spent the bulk of his three and a half years of ministry doing, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom had arrived. And the miracles and the healings were really the sideshow to the main event, which was the preaching of the gospel. If you want to hear a snapshot of what this message sounded like, Mark summarized the preaching of Jesus this way, where it says that Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That was the message. That was the theme of Jesus' ministry, and that was what he was sending these 70 out to do as well. They were to preach that the kingdom of God had arrived, and that anyone who wanted to be a, a citizen in God's kingdom needed to repent and believe the gospel. This was the message of Christ. This was the message that he had given the 12 apostles to spread in chapter 9, the first few verses there. And now he's spreading this message further as these 70 men were going from town to town proclaiming this good news of how people could become a part of the kingdom of God, how they could have their sins forgiven through repentance and faith. However, it wasn't just a message of peace. 
There's also an element of judgment here. The message demanded a response. You either accepted Jesus as king and submitted to him, submitted to his rule in your life, or you were rebelling against the king. There was no neutral ground. Luke 10 verse 10 says, But into whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. In other words, Jesus is telling them if the people of a certain town refuse to accept your message, that you're to go and kick the dust off your shoes and pronounce a judgment on that town. The kingdom of God had come near to them, but they had refused the offer. And because of their refusal to submit to Jesus as their king, Jesus said to them in verse 12, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now, that is truly a message of serious judgment. Uh, If you've been reading through the Bible with our Bible reading plans, you know all about Sodom. We've already gotten that far in Genesis. Just a few chapters in, you find a lot in the city of Sodom. Uh, It's such a wicked place, rampant homosexuality and sexual perversion. And it was so wicked that God rained down fire and destroyed the inhabitants of the city. He wiped Sodom off the map because of how wicked it was. And Jesus says, if you reject the offer of the kingdom of God, the judgment of God will be more severe on you than on the inhabitants of Sodom. That is a striking uh, sound of judgment to say that you're going to be judged more severely on judgment day for rejecting the gospel than even the wicked men of Sodom. Verse 13, he continues along these lines, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, They had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Notice here in this verse, the point that I made just a minute ago, the miracles were the sideshow to the message. The mighty works that Jesus did were not the point in and of themselves. They were meant to prove the truthfulness of his message. Jesus says in that verse, if Tyre and Sidon had seen these mighty works, they would have repented. That was the point of the miracles Jesus did. The miracles were meant to drive people to repent. But instead, these people in Chorazin and Bethsaida took advantage of the miracles. They brought their sick relatives to Jesus. They ate the loaves and fishes Jesus made for them, but they ignored the message. And so verse 14 says, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. Now, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, these are all places Jesus spent most of his time. These are all cities in the upper regions of Galilee where Jesus regularly ministered. Uh, they, had, they were very familiar with Christ. They had heard his teachings. They had seen his miracles. And yet they refused to repent and submit to him as their king. And because of their refusal to respond properly to the message of the kingdom, Jesus says they would be thrust down to hell. He said if these works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which are two wicked places mentioned in the Old Testament prophets uh, that God had uh, already condemned to judgment. He says, if, if these mighty works had been done in those places, Tyre and Sidon even would have repented. If I had done what I had done in Capernaum, and yet you all have rejected my message. Jesus says, it will be better for Tyre than for them on judgment day. This is an idea that's flushed out in other texts. I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, but there are degrees of punishment in hell. Uh, only those who repent and believe the gospel will avoid hell altogether. But even among those who are sentenced to hell, it will be worse for some than others. 
And what determines the degree to which someone is punished is the degree to which they reject Jesus. Someone who heard Jesus teach and saw him heal the sick was going to be judged far more severely for rejecting him than someone who had never heard of Jesus. Because the rejection in face of such clear evidence was nothing short of rebellion. Verse 47 of Luke 12 says, uh, this is the end of a parable Jesus gives, that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So the servant who knew better and did not do what he was supposed to do, he'll be judged severely. Verse 48, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, so he did things that were wrong, but he didn't know, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. In other words, the clearer that you hear the message of the gospel, the more compounded your judgment for rejecting it. You'll not only be sent to hell, it will be worse for you as someone who heard the gospel, who heard the command of Jesus to repent and you ignored it. It will be worse for you in hell than for the sodomite. The judgment of God against the person who knows the truth and rejects it will be the most severe. And notice, it's not about how badly you sinned in life. I've heard people often say there's a special place in hell for bin Laden or Hitler or whoever we think of as the worst of sinners. Uh, that's not exactly the New Testament teaching. It might be more accurate to say there's a special place in hell for the one who sits in church every Sunday and still refuses to repent. Because to whom much is given, much will be required. Please don't sit here every week hearing the message of the gospel and refusing to accept it. Because Jesus says if you do that, you're heaping more and more judgment on your soul. After telling these 70 that judgment would await those who refuse their message, Jesus continues in verse 16 with kind of an explanation as to why they would be judged so severely. He says, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. That's the reason for the severe judgment. It's because to reject the message of these 70 representatives is no different than rejecting Jesus himself. And to reject Jesus is to reject God, to reject the Father who sent Jesus. When you hear the gospel and reject it, you're not just rejecting whoever is talking to you. You're rejecting God. And for that, you will be judged. You will receive greater punishment on Judgment Day. And so with this message, this very severe message from Jesus, the 70 are sent out. They go out from Christ and they preach the message of repentance and submission to Jesus as King. And they come with this message of peace that you can have your sins forgiven. You can become a citizen of the kingdom of God if you will repent and believe the good news. And then when faced with rejection, they left with that warning of judgment that those who reject this offer of peace would face God on judgment day. Now in verse 17, the text takes a really uh, different shift in tenor. This has been very uh, judgment heavy so far. Here we see the return of the 70. They've gone from town to town. They've healed the sick. Uh, they've cast out demons. They preached the gospel. Now they're coming back to Jesus and kind of reporting on what took place over these uh, days or weeks that they were gone. Verse 17 says, The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They are loving this ministry. Uh, they're not just sitting around watching Jesus do miracles. Now they're getting in on the action. They're able to heal the sick. They're able to cast out demons. And Jesus gave them this power to do miracles as an authentication of their message, and they loved it. And I think this is understandable to us. Imagine going into a town 
and seeing someone there who is sick, perhaps near death. Imagine being able to walk over to them, touch their shoulder, and they're instantly healed. Imagine being able to raise a child who had just died back to life and give him back to his parents. Imagine the feeling of purpose that would give you. Imagine seeing someone who was demon-possessed, who had been afflicted, uh, doing harm to themselves and others, constantly tormented by this demon, perhaps for years. And you walk over and cast the demon out of them. And for the first time, they're able to have their life back. Imagine how that would make you feel, like you were really making a difference in this world. You were making a difference in the lives of people. And so it's perfectly understandable that these 70 were so joyful and excited about this power to help those who were suffering. But Jesus responds to them in verse 18. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Jesus confirms that he has authority and power over Satan and over the demonic forces. I, I, I was there when Satan fell from heaven. And that's another affirmation of Jesus' deity and his eternal, eternality, that he was God before Satan even fell into sin. And so he has the power, he has the authority over all the demonic world, and he's given this power to these 70. They could not be hurt by the forces of darkness because of the power that Jesus had that was in them. But, verse 20, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. They were rejoicing in the lesser miracle. Again, I say the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick wasn't the point. That was the sideshow. The gospel was the most important thing. Far more significant than easing someone's temporary suffering by healing them or raising the dead or casting out a demon is giving them the gospel. The greatest thing that these 70 had done wasn't to heal the sick or to cast out demons. It was the message that they proclaimed. Jesus cares about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. The signs were not the point. They were meant to bring people who saw them to believe the message and repent so that they could be forgiven and have their names in the book of life. Because far more important than whatever you can do for someone in this life is helping them prepare for eternity. Now, don't miss what Jesus says here. He said, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. And these 70 were loving the ability to perform miracles. They, they loved the power Jesus had granted to them. And Jesus says they should rejoice more in the miracle Jesus did when he redeemed their souls. That's the greatest miracle you can ever experience. And so rejoice not just in what God does through you, but rejoice especially in what he's done for you when he saved your soul. Do you know that your name is in the book of life? Maybe this is the first time that you've heard the teaching of the Bible, the message of Jesus, that you will one day stand before God and be judged. And you cannot pass this examination. You are a sinner, and that means you're guilty. And you will be sentenced to an eternity in hell, unless your name is written in the book of life. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, and he offers you now forgiveness. You can receive eternal life today if you will repent of your sin, trust in Jesus to save you, and submit to him as your king. Give your life to Jesus, and please don't leave here rejecting this offer, because the offer of peace that is given to you turns to an offer of judgment if you reject it. If you have received Jesus' offer already, don't ever get over that. Don't ever get sidetracked by other things that you lose sight of the fact that Jesus saved you. That is the greatest of all reasons to rejoice. 
We should forever praise God for the fact that our name is written in heaven. No miracle compares to the miracle of salvation. Father, I do pray for each person in this room, myself included, that we would examine our hearts and make sure that our names are written in that book. We don't want to leave here, God, under your judgment. We want to know that we have peace with you. So I pray, God, for each person in this room, if they're not certain that their name is in that book of life, that they would right now repent of their sins, trust in you as their only hope for heaven. Pray, God, that you would give faith and repentance to anyone in this room who is lacking, anyone who has never truly given them their lives to you. I pray that you would work that great miracle of salvation right now, God, in our midst. For those of us who have received your offer, there is nothing that compares to it. There's nothing you could do for us that would be greater than the greatest miracle you've already done. You forgave our sins, you released us from the condemnation of hell, and you've granted us access into the kingdom of God. We don't deserve it. We're sinners. And yet you've extended this offer of peace, this offer of forgiveness. I pray that each person in this room would receive this offer. No one would leave here under your judgment. I pray that each one would accept the message of peace. They would submit themselves to you, that they would give their lives to you and recognize that you are the king. Pray, God, that each of us, like I said, that is saved, that we would rejoice and never get over the fact that you died and that you gave your life for us, that you gave us the opportunity to be forgiven, to have peace with God, to have that relationship that was broken by our sin restored. Thank you, God, for everything you've done for us. Thank you for the answered prayers. Thank you for the healing that you give so often. Thank you for so many blessings that each one of us receives. But thank you most of all for the blessing of your son and for the eternal life that is offered through his name. Pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.